All right, welcome to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. I am with a very special guest today. We have DJ EFN. Uh, DJ EFN is an American record label executive and DJ based in Miami who specializes in hip hop. Since the early 1990s, operating most often under the banner of Crazy Hood Productions, EFN has worked in the hip hop industry in a variety of capacities, including as a mixtape producer, album producer, and A&R consultant, radio host, marketing and promotion specialist, clothing retailer, artist manager, and film producer. In the fall of 2004, Boston's True Magazine noted, Crazy Hood Productions remains a pillar in Miami as it has been noted for the better part of 10 years. Uh, DJ EFN also is the co-host of the very popular Drink Champs podcast, which I am a huge fan of. So EFN, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, man. Absolutely. So I'd love to hear, kind of tell me how you got your start just involved in, in hip hop. Yeah, um, I, was, I loved music, all kinds of music growing up from really, really young. Um, what really got me into music was, was movies, like the soundtrack of movies and, and, and watching any movie. And then I would like act out a movie scene, thinking of the music, or if I could get the song, I'd play it on the boombox and act it out. Like, like I was really just into music off of the movies. And then, um, and then you know, hip hop was just a part of, of my use, you know, music culture. It was, it was, it was the new music of the time. I'm, I'm really young, like in the eighties and, and hip hop is really starting to, to hit the radio waves. And, and it's just a part of the landscape of music that I'm listening to. It wasn't like the main music. Cause I was listening to everything from, from uh, thrash to, to punk to, to, to salsa, to, to rock. Like, I mean, you name it. Like I was, I, I was listening to it. If I liked it, I liked it. That's just the way I looked at things. As I got older, hip hop, it just like, I gravitated towards it because I just felt as much as I liked all these other genres of music, those other genres were older and they, and they were kind of like already spoken for in terms of a generation that it came from. And I felt that hip hop was my generation's music that we were building and it was in its infancy. And, and in short, you know, make a long story short, that's kind of like what, what inspired me to, to really just dive into hip hop and become like a complete hip hop head. Right, right. And then tell me about what you brought to the Miami hip hop scene. Cause from what I had read, you know, there wasn't, you know, in this one uh, interview that you did, you had said there was no consistent mixtape DJ in Miami. No one who ever right. really played the music from Miami. Right. So talk I mean, to me we, a little about that. We, I mean, we had, our scene was just, it was all over the place. Uh, but there had been people for, you know, going probably, I would say as far back as, as hip hop's beginning, there was people doing stuff in Miami. So I can never take the credit for that or, or say that my generation in Miami was the one, but, and then you had the Lukes and the two life crews and this whole movement that they created, which was a huge national international movement. But what happened in Miami that a lot of people don't understand is that that, that movement became, it, it like splintered from like hip hop, it, it, even though it's all hip hop, but and it might, this is going to sound a little confusing, but it became the Miami based scene. It was like this Miami based music and it separated itself in a sense locally from hip hop and hip hop was looked at this like New York phenomenon happening in Miami that was like infiltrating and 
a lot of like real local, local diehard Miami people were kind of against it and looked at it as so. Um, I'm originally born in Los Angeles, but I was raised in Miami. So, you know, I didn't see myself as a New York anything. So I was like, nah, like I just like hip hop and I was into it. I liked Miami bass as well, but I was just really into lyrics and this boom bap sound that was heavy at the time. And I'm talking about like going into from late eighties, early nineties now, and I'm in high school. And, um, and, and then the, the first thing I started looking at as I look at the landscape of Miami hip hop is that there really wasn't organization and there wasn't many people that were proud to say we are from Miami. There was a lot of New York transplants. There was a lot of people that even if they weren't from New York, they kind of repped New York. And, and you'll see this in, it, actually I've heard that this played out in a lot of different cities at that time because New York was like the mecca of hip hop. And then maybe later LA, you know, started popping in Atlanta. But a lot of people were like, oh, they were just kind of ashamed of being from Miami. So one of the things that my crew and myself did is we were just overly proud of Miami and we were repping it. And this is before you have like the Rick Rosses and the Pitbulls and all these guys where it doesn't, doesn't make sense to someone now looking at the way Miami looks now in terms of music and hip hop. But back then people were ashamed of it and we were just in front trying to like you know just repping the city and that and that that was our way of like changing the landscape or was it clubs is that where that kind of you were able to kind of take that and and sort of build that miami hip-hop scene? Not, not really i mean look so let me give you times wise so let's just say 92 93 um i'm towards the, the last years of high school and i, I want to get into into music as a career and hip-hop very specifically and i want to make a difference in miami there isn't too many clubs in Miami playing hip hop. If they were, they were like these South Beach clubs that had like a hip hop brew and they wouldn't even let hip hop kids into them. Um, so a lot of the hip hop parties that we went to were parties. They were house parties. They were like uh, warehouse parties. They were like underground parties. So that wasn't a thing. And we did, we did do that. That was one of the things I did. For, the first thing I ever did when I started my company is we threw a party because it was very far and few in between that you had these jams where you could actually listen to, to hip hop and, and all these hip hop kids from around the city would come through. Then radio wasn't a thing for hip hop out here either. Um, they weren't playing commercial on commercial radio hip hop. So I got into pirate radio, which is big in Miami underground radio. I, I started doing that. And then eventually I got to the mixtapes and I also started managing groups that were proud to be from Miami artists that were repping Miami. And that was another way that I was pushing, you know, the envelope. Right, right. It's kind of crazy to think, I mean, to see, you know, Miami hip hop progress to, you know, the SoundCloud sort of generation. I mean, obviously, that's based online. But, you know, you had a lot of South Florida artists that yeah. were kind of bringing, yeah. continuing to bring Miami to the scene, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, man. And, and I'm and I'm proud of that. I'm, I'm proud, um, if, if at all, to have a part of that. You know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of younger artists would kind of say that my scene or my era has nothing to do with their era but but I, I will tell you this it was it was a time in Miami where nobody wanted to rep the city they did want to say they were from Miami they were not proud so I could tell you proudly that we helped change that my myself and my crew right and tell me tell me a little about the the CHP marketing I've done I did out of necessity because really I was a kid that was like oh man I want to First of all, I wish I could rap. I I couldn't rap, so I wasn't going to be a rapper. 
So, you know, I, I always wanted to be a DJ, though, for sure. But the DJ road was going to be longer for me, especially taking the mixtape route. So, you know, I'm developing artists. That's going to take a while. But the, the dream is, you know, we, I develop artists. They get signed to a major record label. We have a hit single. We're on Billboard charts. Platinum hits. End of story. That's not realistic. You know, I, I mean, we found that out quickly, especially, you know, that that's not a realistic uh, like basically lane that you're going to go through luck. Some people are lucky and they, they have that happen to them, but that wasn't going to happen. So I started to, to find all these different relatable things that I had a knack for to do, to bring in revenue while I funded these things that weren't bringing in revenue. Um, and that's why I started like the marketing company and we had a clothing store, a hip hop clothing store. And, and I started consulting and doing all these different things. And, and really what it was is that we marketed so well for our own brand and so cheaply on some like grassroots marketing that people started stepping to me that had either record labels or they already had the accounts. And they're like, can you help us out? Can, and they would hire us. And at one point I just had this juggernaut uh, marketing company in Miami that had almost every record label account. And I had like Coca-Cola, Bacardi and movie accounts at one point. And, and that's how that whole thing started. Right. So it sounds like you really diversified kind of what, what you were doing there. Yeah. Out yeah. of necessity, out of necessity. for sure. Right. And what was dope about that is that it helped me learn all the different aspects of the industry. You know, I didn't go to school for this. I didn't do any of that. I'm learning on the ground, you know? Right. That's actually one of the questions I was going to ask you is kind of like how, you know, how in the hip hop industry, how you sort of networked, and, you know, eventually, and we're going to talk about drink, uh, drink champs in a minute, mm -hmm. but you know, you, you guys have gotten everyone on the show. I mean, every, like all the big artists. So I'm curious, like what, what have you found to be like kind of the, the key elements of sort of networking and, and building connections in the industry? Well, for everybody, it's going to be different, obviously. Um, and again, going back to it being like the early nineties, I'm setting out to, 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 to build a career in, in the music industry and hip hop, but hip hop industry isn't in Miami. Uh, even less in the, the part of Miami. I'm in, I'm in deep in South Miami an area called Kendall. Everybody that I told that I wanted to do this was like, you're crazy. You don't have no connections. Like, how are you going to do this? You don't know anybody. So luckily for me, um, they, these conventions started to make their way to Miami. These, these hip hop conventions industry convention called how can i be down was one of them like sponsored by def jam and these different conventions and i was like well this, here's my way of starting to, to to be able to meet and, and and network and that's what i did i started to go to all these conventions and i would go with my crew it'd be like 10 15 dudes crazy hood shirts out you know and i'd and i'd you know we'd step to artists and step to people and we were just like you know, this massive group of people that couldn't be denied, you know, like you couldn't ignore us, uh, you know, black and Latino kids. And it's just like, yo, what's up, man? Like, you know, and, and I was doing mixtapes at the time and I had these portable studio, this portable studio that I had a four track and I would plop it in a, in a hotel lobby, wherever the artists were staying, pull them in. If I see them walking to their room, Hey, come here. I need you to do a freestyle for me. And that started to get exclusive freestyle, started to meet folks, started to shop demos at these things, just learning. And then, people started to take notice. They were like, those dudes from Miami, like, you know, it's like a freaking army of people and they got mixtapes and, you know, they're promoting and they're doing this and they're doing that. And 
that's how I started to build my, my network of people. And then after that, you know, it's, what do you do with that network? Which is, I try to always do good business with everybody that I dealt with and build a, a really solid reputation with whoever I came across. So it sounds like you, you guys, I mean, it was a really creative sort of way that you guys built this thing up as far as there wasn't, sounds like there wasn't really a blueprint for it. You no, guys just wasn't. hustled and got your, got the word out. So talk to me, you know, starting drink champs, um, you know, and then kind of building it into what it is today. W where did the original idea come from? And, uh, you know, how did you kind of connect with Nori? So this, I'm going to try to condense these really long stories for sure. you. And, and the drink champ story is, is unique because it's, it's two pronged. There's the name drink champs and that has its own story. And then there's us actually doing like a podcast. Tell me about the podcast part. So we, Nori moved down to Miami. So Nori and I, we've known each other forever. And it goes back to the whole thing of like the networking and, people and then me being a mixtape DJ and labels and artists needing people like me because in Miami their commercial radio like I said wasn't playing hip-hop so the people that you, the only people you could use to help promote records or break records was the pirate radio underground radio DJs and the mixtape DJs and that was me I did both so I was I was important to, to these promoters and these artists and these labels so I had my store Nori was doing a promo run. He came, he came to do an in-store to promote his event. We met. He did freestyles for me. We hit it off. A friendship that, that lasted years. I did his first show in Miami, like solo show, all this stuff. So fast forward, he ends up moving to Miami. Now it's around like 2006, seven. I don't know, give or take a year. Um, and he ends up at some one point, he's living in my neighborhood my studio he's like down the street from my studio he starts working in my studio every day and out of those sessions uh, a friend of ours that had that or a friend of nori's actually that nori introduced me to he's the program director and he has his own station on xm radio his name is leo g he offers us he's like yo you guys want to show on on xm this is before sirius xm did the merger so it's xm by itself He's like, you guys want a show on here? So we did a weekly show um, on there out of my studio. And eventually it, we did it for two or three years. And it eventually was on Sirius XM. It was on multiple different channels on, on, on satellite radio. And you can Google that show. It, it was called Militainment Crazy Raw Radio, which Nori gave that crazy name to it. It looks and sounds like drink champs. It, it, we drank Tiger Bone. We, we got drunk. We introduced ourselves the same way. It was the same thing minus we didn't have as many guests back then because we're like deep in South Miami area. So we stopped doing that show at one point. We weren't getting paid. We just did it for fun. Nori went on tour with Capone. They did a new CNN album. They went to Europe. I'm managing this group, Mayday, who signed a Tech 9 Strange Music. We go on tour, so I'm busy with them. But I'm always trying to figure out how can we do something like that show. And I had a boy who did, who's in like the podcast hall of fame. His name is a uh, Godfrey from gamer tag radio. He's always advocating to me about podcasts. Like, Yo, you should podcast that, that show you and Nori were doing. It should be a podcast. Podcast wasn't a thing in hip hop at the time. It's considered some nerd thing. You know, like I brought it up to Nori a couple of times. Like I thought I was convinced I was like, yeah, you know, I, I've seen the future and all this stuff 
for a long time, you know, going back to having my first, the website for my company in like 94, crazyhood.com. So I tell Nori, he's not really with it. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the concept of the podcasting thing yet. Long story short, in terms of years, I don't know, maybe it took three, four years, finally gets convinced. My boy Godfrey is actually doing his podcast through CBS radio. And I, he's like, you want me to make the intro? I say, yeah. And me and Nori end up doing the podcast through there. So that's the podcast story. The name in those same old sessions where Nori's in my studio, me and my boys were, were, we were big drinkers. We're drinking all the time. If you got too drunk and you couldn't handle your liquor, you're not a drink champ. And that term was just something that was just a part of our regular vernacular. That's something we just would say all the time. And one day I was like, man, I really love the sound of that drink champ or drink champs. And I was like, I wonder if anybody, like, I can't imagine that someone didn't already grab that for their .com or, or for social media. And I, to my surprise, nobody had trademarked it, copywritten it, gotten the .com. No, I grabbed all that shit. And this is like for sure five years before drink champ, like before me knowing what that's going to be. You know, I grabbed the name because I just loved the way it sounded. And eventually when Nori was ready to do the podcast, I said, look, man, I got drink champs here, ready to go. This is a beautiful name. Let's just run with it. And he was like, all right, cool. And my boy Scam, who's done artwork for Eminem and Tribe Called Quest and all these people, he's, he's from Miami. He's a homie of mine. He's done a lot of stuff for me. He, he did our logo. And the rest is history. And I mean, you guys, I... You guys have interviewed, as I was saying, you know, everyone as far as, you know, people from Lil Wayne, uh, Rick Ross, Nas, uh, Floyd Mayweather, Mike Tyson. What have been your favorite interviews to do? Uh, 50 Cent is one of my favorites. Um, Trick Daddy, one of, you know, one of my favorites. And um, let's just say, I mean, there's a, they all have something that make them favorite, but, and, Marlon Wayne is one of my favorites because I just couldn't stop laughing. The first Marlon Wayne. Um, so those are like my, some of my favorites right there. And, you know, the one, I mean, that I, I absolutely loved the, the Lil Wayne interview that you guys did, as I was saying before we started recording. I'm curious, just how did, how did that come about as far as how are you, and not just Lil Wayne, I mean, other artists, how are you able to get them, I mean, a three-hour, you know, show as we were talking about before uh, we started recording you know Lil Wayne doesn't even do many interviews let alone you know what he did with you guys so how did that sort of come about um and like I mentioned I just think he he was a fan of the show coming into it already because from my understanding he doesn't not understand I know he doesn't do many interviews at, at least not at, up to that point now he's doing he's got his own show right. which I partially think is inspired by him feeling so comfortable at drink champs um yeah I, I just think he was a fan of the show he you know after the episode was over he pulled me to the side he was telling me him and his girl watch us on revolt all the time so i think since he watches us all the time he already you know he already had a relationship with nori and i had met him over the years but my relationships are different than nori's because nori's like an artist to artist mine was usually like some behind the scenes stuff you know where it's a different type of relationship so he already knew nori but I think by watching the show, he felt like he already knew the entire show. Like he was already there because he'd watched it so much. He knew our little jokes. He knew, you know, how far we'll take something, the drinking. Like, like he already knew what to expect. And he just, he was just very comfortable, man. And 
that was a great interview. He was really cool, man. So, so, and, and it's just, it, it all becomes, it all boils down to being comfortable. It, and then the liquor helps. And if you drink, <laughs> if you, and, and let me mind you, you don't have to drink to be on drink champs. You know, we'll, we'll push and be like, Hey, can you, you know, have a drink? But if you say, I don't want to drink, we're not going to like force you to drink. We'll do all the drinking for you. Um, so, you know, if, if you have a couple drinks and you, you feel comfortable and, and you setting, settle in your chair, yo, the time goes by fast. Like, I wouldn't even imagine that it was three hours that we did. Right. And I mean, you, what you were saying as far as like, you know, him having watched the show and uh, kind of knowing the inside jokes and stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. you could tell with that, with that interview had had such a great flow. Yeah. It was like there was never a dry moment and so many, so many funny jokes in that. I loved that interview. Um, yeah. I'm curious also, I wanted to ask, like as far as not just Lil Wayne, but just all of these, you know, huge people uh, in the hip hop industry that you've interviewed, what have, what have you noticed kind of being in the presence of this greatness? That, that's a good question. I mean, I can't tell you that. I, I'd love to tell you, cause I'm a big fan of the book. Uh, I might say it wrong cause Think Rich, Grow Rich, I think is the name of the book. Think You Grow Rich, Hill. yeah. Napoleon Hill, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the way that he studied all these people and tried to figure out the traits. So I would love to be able to answer it in that way, you know, like say, oh, yeah, I've pinpointed all these traits. But the truth of the matter is everybody seems to be pretty unique. Now, the newer artists that we've talked to versus some of the older there's a difference there. And that has to do a lot with just the landscape of the industry that they're, they're in. You know, the older artists are used to this, this record label structure that funded, that had big money back then, kind of pampered them in a sense, developed them and, and put them out where newer artists, they, you know, whether it be SoundCloud or whatever, and they're kind of self-made in a certain way, but they all have their pros and their cons the way I look at it. Um, but there really isn't, I can't tell you there's one specific thing that they all have. For the most part, though, everybody is, um, they, they just have their unique personality trait that makes them who they are. And, and they, they wear it on their sleeves. It's sometimes to their detriment, uh, like, a, like a Dane Dash, you know, or someone like that, that, that really just, he just like his honesty is there. But that personality is why, you know, it's Dame Dash, you know, and, and DMX, same thing, you know, like DMX is honest to his detriment. Like he's so honest with him, you know, with the audience and, and how he puts himself out there. But again, that's a part of, of who they are, you know, as this great artist. Mm -hmm. Right. And it seems like, uh, you know, so the, the, the episodes are so raw and you can tell like the authenticity of the artists. And as you mentioned, maybe yeah. the alcohol kind of, you know, loosening up the inhibitions a little bit definitely can't hurt. Yep. Um, yeah. So, okay. So building up drink champs to, you know, definitely the, the biggest hip hop podcast. Right. Um, and just, I mean, I, I know we, you said before the, the show, you know, you're, you don't consider yourself a, a journalist, right? right. Um, but it's like, as far as hip hop media, I mean, if I want to hear an artist interview, you know, drink champs is usually, like where I'm going to go and I so talk to friends and it's, it's the same thing. Right. So it seems like you guys have kind of built yourself up to the top. I'm just curious, you know, where, where do you go from here? I, I mean, I'll tell you this drink champs, the way it seems sometimes on camera, the organized confusion and chaos is the way it is behind the scenes sometimes. 
Um, I'd like to tell you like all these crazy grand plans. I mean, we have a lot of things that we want to do and plan, but sometimes it's that, that kind of like organized chaos that makes us special and doesn't, we don't become stale because it's just, you know, we come out of left field sometimes with some crazy shit, but you know, we, I think in terms of hip hop podcast, we did the first type of multi-platform deal, which, which included the audio podcast, um, a digital uh, subscription based platform title. And then we had TV involved in that linear, uh, which was revolt. And I don't think that had ever been done, at least not in hip hop podcasting. So I would love to, to, to do something else again, that breaks the mold in terms of what podcasters can do. And even more specifically within hip hop, because I want to help and I want to help other artists, you know, create other streams of revenue for them. So they don't feel that they, they don't, they just have to do music. You know, the one good thing about what I think we've done as drink champs is that we've helped. I don't want to, I want to choose my words, Karen. I don't want to say revitalized, but to an extent, you know, maybe we've re-inspired an older artist that kind of was like, you know, losing, you know, just, 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 I don't want to say losing hope, but just, they just felt like the industry wasn't for them anymore. They were, what else could they do? And if you've noticed after drink champs, a lot of artists are doing podcasts now, their own podcasts, which I would tell you, and I'm not going to name names, at least 80% of them, we were talking about doing our podcast network and having them all come through us, but push come to shove. We didn't, we ended up not getting our podcast network off the ground. We were always shifting our deal structures with different people. So it didn't get us, give us the, the foundation, you know, um, to, to create our podcast. But, I, but nonetheless, I think that's dope that we help create that lane for people. And I want to continue to create that lane for people. And I want to maybe even help like actually go in there and consult and cultivate, uh, different companies or, or artists or whatever to, to, to make this even larger for people. Right. That's amazing. As far as you being an interviewer, you know, what, what sort of, uh, what have you learned as far as kind of doing this, this show, um, talking to people like what, did you have inspiration from any other podcasters or, or interviewers in the industry or were you just kind of doing your own thing? To be honest with you, I probably wouldn't have, if you would have asked me, do I want to do this a couple of years before drink? I would have said no. Um, my, me personally, I was never trying to be in front of the camera. I was never trying to be that guy. Um, but it, again, it, it's like everything else that I've had to do. It's like out of necessity to keep, because there was no one that was going to rep my brand better than myself. So, you know, I, I created Drink Chance with Nori and Nori is the driving force as far as the personality and even the conversation goes. But, you know, I needed to be there on, at the table because this is something I'm, I created with him. You know, but I didn't see that for myself. So every day, to be honest with you, I try to just maintain the idea that I, I love the culture. I'm a fan of the culture first and foremost. And if I can keep that, mind frame then i can still enjoy them and sometimes i just sit at the table as a fan listening like everybody else and just happy to be there man you know just happy because you would ask uh me as a child you know as a teenager in 1992 uh hey man you one day you're going to be doing this and sitting down with x y and z artists that you grew up on 
I would have told you, get the fuck out of here, you know? And, and you know, here wild. I am. So I have to, I try to like, you know, I try to just, just stay focused on that and be grateful for, for the position I'm in and not take it for granted. Right. Was there like a single artist who you, you were like the biggest uh, like Ice Cube, fan? Man. Just, Ice Cube. Yeah, yeah, I was a huge NWA fan and then, and then Cube specifically out of NWA. So when he went solo, followed his career, and then, you know, he went off to do everything he's done in, in, in his career. And when we had him, he was one of the few artists that I've actually gotten like, like nervous and starstruck by like, oh, yeah, that's, that's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ice Cube, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, yeah, like, yeah, for sure. For sure. That's gotta be the, the most incredible feeling be able, being able to just be in the presence, as you were saying, of like people you admired and listened to like growing up and actually being able yeah. to be face to face with them. Absolutely. Now, now the other takeaway though, on the flip side of that statement is that the one thing that I do acknowledge is that all these artists are human, just like all of us, you know? And so as much as I'm excited about it and I'm a fan of them, you be, I, I do, I like to be careful and I tell people, be careful about putting people on pedestals as well. You know, like, like you can, uh, you could be a fan without like losing yourself in that fandom, you know, and understanding like, Hey man, it's just a, another human being. You know, you don't have to completely get nervous and, and Oh man, what is he going to think of me? Like, nah, just, you know, he's a regular dude. And, and often and more than not, these people afterwards, you know, we, we become friends and, we're cool. And I mean, I've, a lot of them I've known before drink champs and just, they're just great people, man, behind the scenes. Right. And I mean, you can tell, I, I feel like, you know, Joe Rogan is another name that, you know, that comes to mind along with you guys where it's just, it, yeah, Joe's it, it, amazing. yeah I, I love, I mean, honestly, yeah. his style of interviewing was a big inspiration for me just starting the podcast. Cause I wanted this raw authentic where I just made the guests feel comfortable and gave them platform to open up yeah. but it's it seems like there, there is that where it's it, it's just one human speaking to another it just feels like a conversation that you wouldn't otherwise get to hear unless there was a camera there absolutely yeah man That's, yeah yeah I, I mean yeah you're right joe joe's done that i mean he's doing that with fucking i saw who did i see oliver stone uh yesterday i was watching Ever. and oliver stone every yeah everybody everybody yeah and, elon and musk is. like yeah, Elon, and and he's talking to them like he's talking to one of his homies when he has exactly. his homies on. Exactly. And that's the, and we try to do the same thing with drink champs as well, you know. Um, but but you know we're human, and and even on the other foot is that you'll look at them and you'll be like, damn, you know, like it's hard not to put somebody you grew up listening to or someone that that's done has all these accolades on a pedestal. But I'm always trying to like keep them grounded, keep myself grounded. Like we gotta understand the bigger picture here. But but it's okay to celebrate their careers and that's what it's more about it's it's celebrating these careers and these accomplishments versus necessarily the, the the person in front of you the human you know right right i think you guys you know do an incredible job of that you know i just want to you know say this on camera that you know i'm a huge fan of the the show and your guys' style you, so big props to you i'm so happy we got to have this conversation i know you got to get going in a minute but Tell, uh, tell my listeners if people want to, you know, get connected with Drink Champs, probably not too hard to find online, but uh, just, you know, whatever social media is you want to provide or other links, feel free to, sure. yeah, so feel free to plug. The site, you know, everybody check out, you know, you can check out the archives of all of our episodes, drinkchamps.com. Uh, we just launched 
recently, which is funny, our official YouTube, because our YouTube used to, our videos were hosted with our different partners. So now we're, we have our own YouTube, as well as it being on Revolt or our different partners. But you could check out uh, youtube.com forward slash drink champs and at drink champs of all the social media. And then my company also crazyhood.com. Check that out at DJ EFN on Twitter, at who's crazy on Instagram. And I have a film series that I'm doing called Coming Home. It's a documentary series where I travel to different countries and explore the country through hip hop, through their culture, hip hop culture. And you can check those out at uh, crazyhood.com forward slash film. Interesting. That sounds super cool. Yeah, man. Awesome. Well, and if you guys enjoyed the, the show today, um, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Roscoe's Wetsuit. And you can also find Roscoe's Wetsuit podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio right now. Um, DJ EFN, again, it was, it was a huge honor getting to talk to you, man. Uh, my Appreciate dude, thank it. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.